Welcome to the RSP cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. And today, this is going to be a fun cast. It's really, I would joke that this is a solo cast, but it doesn't involve me because we're going to have, I'm sure you guys have heard enough of me for the past few weeks. So I want to talk about or listen to someone talk about the offensive line. You know, what's going on in the trenches because that sets up pretty much everything that we see on the football field offensively. And there's no better person in this space to be able to do that than with Brandon Thorne, who is the offensive line scout at Bleacher Report. He's an analyst that established the run. He's a scouting coordinator with offensive line masterminds, which I want him to get into and talk a little bit about that, as well as the fact that he has this awesome newsletter that if you want to learn more about trench play, check out his Trench Warfare newsletter. It's a Substack. Awesome, awesome work. Brandon, thanks so much for coming back on the show. I'm excited for this. Yeah, same here, man. Uh, we've done this several times now, and it's just, it's it's always a pleasure to, to join you. And man, I mean, I feel like a lot of what I'm doing in this space has been inspired by what you did, you know, and kind of how you kind of carved out this path, this unique path. And uh, yeah, so I just want to thank you for that. I mean, you're kind of a trailblazer in some ways and inspired me. So uh, it's always awesome to talk. Well, I appreciate that. And I remember way back in the day when we had you on to talk about a defensive lineman back from Baylor, I believe, you know, yes. many years ago. And yep. I'm just, hey, I'm honored and glad that that whatever path that I could help or just kind of model that you've been able to model after that and have success with it because that's uh, that wasn't the intent, but I'm glad that that's the result. So, so tell us a little bit about one your your newsletter, a little your, your Substack, and tell us also about the the offensive line, um, you know, the offensive line masterminds. Yeah, so my newsletter I started, uh, I guess, about a year and a half ago now. Uh, it's called Trench Warfare, and it's all catered to offensive and defensive line. So I wanted a a medium, I guess, to, you know, direct the content and to kind of put out stuff that I want to put out. And uh, Substack, I thought was a really good platform to do that. And, you know, I, I think my target audience is coaches, players, um, fellow evaluators, uh, and hardcore fans, you know, of the trenches. So that's really who I try to cater to. Um, and you know, how I do that is to provide, you know, trait based analysis on offensive and defensive linemen, looking at big picture, uh, ideas for NFL and college offensive linemen as well down to like, you know, really like intricate kind of nuanced views. And I do a lot of that through like film rooms, um, or I'll write, I'll do rankings and tiers and, um, just all different kinds of stuff that I think is a lot of fun and, you know, kind of provide some insight into the trenches. So, uh, it allows me to do that. And I'm, I'm really happy with where it is now and where it's going. And yeah, man, I mean, so that's, that's kind of my baby there. Uh, you know, that I, that I really enjoy doing that. Um, and you know, my subscribers and they're, they're the ones who allow me to do it. So I'm really just thankful for, for where I'm at. Um, and the uh, offensive line masterminds event. I got involved in that in, uh, I want to say it was 2018. Um, so this will be the, this is the fourth year I want to say 18. Yeah. 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 Fourth year. Um, but man, Duke Mannyweather, you know, he, he if, if you're listening to me and you know, on this, you probably know who that is. Uh, you know, one of the best trainers, uh, out there for offensive linemen and scouts as well. 
he and Lane Johnson, Eagles right tackle, started this. And um, it's basically a, a summit uh, where offensive linemen at all levels get together, coaches as well, and they basically just brainstorm ideas and they try to get better. They try to share secrets, you know, and, and um, you know, just habits and uh, approaches. And it's it's really amazing. Um, it started off pretty small, you know, uh, when I was there, I was, um, you know, at the inaugural one. I think there was like 27 guys last year. We had over 200. Um, so it's really grown a lot, uh, and it's been amazing to be in the room and to hear these guys share, you know, their, their insight and really their perspectives on game day, their perspectives on certain plays and their perspective just for their careers, like how they got there and, and, uh, everything from on field to off the field training, their regimens, stuff like that. Uh, it's been amazing. So, that's basically what offensive line masterminds does. That's the intent. And uh, my role there is I scout um, the top pass rushers in the NFL and provide a short advanced scouting report on them. And then I build like these detailed videos that showcase w how they win, basically, um, you know, what side they win, what move they use most often, you know, against certain players. I just try to break down some things, some actionable items that offensive linemen can look at and say, hey, you know, I, I know my opponent better. And it serves as kind of a jumping off point for a conversation at Offensive Line Masterminds. We play it up on the big screen and, uh, you know, the videos that is, and then just kind of read my report. And then players just, a lot of the times the players are in the videos that are, that are up there so they can just start talking about it. And then it just facilitates conversation. So that's that's my role there. Um, and I love it because it allows it, it gives me a reason to watch more film and uh, learn more about these guys. So that's been awesome, man. So that's that's my role there. And I I love it. That, that's just so fantastic to hear all of that. And it's funny if you're obviously I don't do video, but if you were seeing us on the screen, you'd see in the background that Brandon's got a frame version uh, a jersey of Quentin Nelson's and Quentin has written a nice note on the back of that thanking Brandon for bringing the the work of the offensive line to light to the public sphere at least that's what i can see with my limited eyesight yeah. at this point <laughs> so that should tell you a lot right there and what and as a skill position kind of scout asking an offensive line type of scout this question i figured that this is, will just be a good joke between us is that i'm going to call a little audible here um <laughs> on what our, our our plan was because after you talking okay. about what it is that you've heard these pros talk about in the rooms, you know, that you've been in. I would love to hear anything that you share that was like memorable to you about, you know, about position play, about what it's like on game day, anything that just really struck you that opened your eyes. And you can go on as long as you'd like about it. <laughs> and then we can get on to the 2022 class whenever it's good. Yeah. Um, I think there's two things really. So the first thing is how how many different ways you can approach playing the position and have success. Uh, you know, I, I I compare it to a good comparison would be Mitchell Schwartz, uh, former Chiefs All Pro right tackle. He was at many of these offensive line masterminds compared to a guy like maybe Lane Johnson. You know, playing the same position. Now, they're both very, obviously, intelligent guys, intelligent players, 
uh, but Mitchell is he's he's much more um, analytical in his approach, whereas Lane is much more I, I think kind of a, a feeling it out you know as it goes, and I think part of that is because Lane's you know physical talent is just so great and so rare, whereas Mitch is you know if you look at the combine testing and stuff like that he's one of the you know literally literally one of the worst athletes to ever play right tackle <laughs> yet he's a multiple time all pro yeah um he wins by being like i said very analytical in his approach being very precise with his footwork and angles and timing and uh just all these nuances and he just he can explain it very well and in great detail and it's amazing to listen to. It's just like you're going, you're listening to like a brilliant like mathematician or something. It's just like he's just, uh, you know, really impressive in that way. And he did it at a very, very high level. Whereas you talk, you hear a guy like Lane or some other guys even that I've talked to. And they just, they're very matter of fact. Like, yeah, I did this because he did this. And, you know, and it's just like you could just tell some guys it just, it comes a little bit more natural to them. And they maybe they don't break it down in that level of detail but you know for them they're still brilliant at what they do they just do it they approach it so differently so that's one thing that jumps out to me and just listening to different guys um and then another thing is how much or the level of importance for just what you tell yourself tell yourself mentally before games before plays the confidence that you have is so critical for success um I feel like a lot of guys at offensive line masterminds over the years, if they weren't feeling good about their technique or their body, if they weren't thinking positively about those things, whether because, you know, they were dealing with an injury or maybe the coaching they were getting was substandard and they didn't have confidence in the scheme or their responsibility, they felt like that was one of the main indicators of success for them. And if they felt good, their body felt good, if they, they were confident in their teammates, confident in their coaches, they played the best football of their career. So I feel like so much of it is mental and, you know, the story that you tell yourself, you know, that's kind of a one of those sayings that we have at Offensive Line Masterminds. We've had like sports psychologists come in and talk to us as well. And they, they use that terminology and the, the importance of that, I think, for offensive line is so huge because when you're lined up against a guy like Aaron Donald or Ron Miller, one of these type of guys, if you're not thinking the right way um, and, you know, you could beat yourself before the play even starts. Uh, and that happens a lot. Uh, it's not that guys don't have the ability to do it, to execute. It's just uh, they're not in the right headspace. So I feel like that's been an eye opener for me. It's not something that I would really think about being, you know, a guy on the outside watching film all the time. It, to me, it's, a, you know, a lot of the time it's more cut and dry. Like, can this guy do it? Can he not? Does he have the foot quickness to do it? Does he these things like this? But I mean, so much of it we don't see and we don't know about, um, you know, what that player is going through and, you know, that that whole thing. So that to me was uh, it's always eye opening to to hear how much weight players put in that. It, it's really it's a real thing. Um, it's hard to quantify, but it, it's it's definitely real. And it's it's really interesting to, to listen to. I think that's so fascinating because it ties back to something that I've often talked about with quarterback play is that it's a performance. It's a stage performance, you know, in a lot of ways. And if you and delivering your or executing when you execute on a stage, you have to do it in a timely 
precise and confident manner. And it has to be done. In, in, really, all those three things have to be there. And if they aren't, if you're a, if you're a beat late, it's over. And, right. and, and if you have to think an extra beat to do it, um, it doesn't matter whether you had the right answer because the right answer was a beat ago, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a, I yeah. love hearing that because it just reaffirms about the game that what we're, we're striving for is we're looking at all these techniques. We're looking at all these different concepts and, but at the end of the day, we still have to try and figure out from what we see on the tape as best we can, how that's all fused together to be intuitive and timely with how you how you move and react. So, right. so, yep. so let's talk about this 2022 class. And I'd love for you to just break yep. down from a tackle guard center standpoint, or if you want to go even deeper than that, however you do. Tell us about what you think of this class as an overview, and then we'll start talking about individual guys too. Yeah, so I think overall this is a good class. I would say it's, you know, solid to good. You know, it's um, definitely, you know, tackle at the top, you know, first round. We're probably going to have four or five guys go in the first round, and I think that's pretty typical. Um you know, I th- compared to last year, for instance, overall, I would say it's probably not as deep, um, maybe not as high quality, high end, but there's a lot of good options, especially on the interior as you get later into this draft. Um, you know, I think that's typically the way it is, right? I mean, if you're a starting caliber tackle, you're going to go in the first round. It's kind of like the quarterback thing. If you're a starting quarterback, you're going to go in the first round. If you're starting tackle, you're going to go in the first round. It's because of the supply demand thing. I think largely, you know, the supply exceeds the demand. So, you know, there's just not 64 starting tackles ever in the NFL. So if you can get one, you got to play, you know, you got to get him high. Uh, So that's probably going to be the case this year as well. And then interior, there's more of those guys. So you can get more of those guys later, you know, particularly day two, I think is kind of the strength of the interior class, at least the last two years that I've studied every draft eligible offensive lineman. Um, but why I say it isn't quite as good as last year is because last year um, I did this kind of brief study a, a couple of weeks ago where I looked at the last 10 drafts uh, for offensive linemen. And I looked at how many guys were drafted in the first three rounds. Um, and uh, in terms of offensive linemen last year, we had the most offensive linemen drafted in the first three rounds of any year over the last 10 years. And uh, I think that just speaks to kind of the quality of that class. Um, And, you know, so I don't think this class is going to have that many, you know, top, you know, two or three round draft picks on the offensive line. But nonetheless, uh, there's there's a lot of day two guys that I like in this class, particularly on the inside. Um, And yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's how I see it right now. So who do you believe is worth the early round picks at, at tackle? Yeah. So for me, there's, there's a tier one who, you know, it's two players, um, Alabama's Evan Neal and NC state's, uh, Iki Aquanu. So th- that's my tier one. Those are guys with fringe top 10 grades. So a bleacher report, our grading scale, um, you know, a 10 O is once in a generation that you barely ever give that grade. 9.5 to 9.9 is a top five player. 9.0 to 9.4 is a top 10 player. So uh, Evan Neal has a 9.0 for me. So that's wow. kind of the bottom. Okay. Yeah. Bottom of the top 10 grade. And then Icky uh, has an 8.9. Um, so they're basically 
man, it's pick your flavor on, you know, basically depending on your scheme, depending on kind of your offensive line room and your coaching and stuff like that. It's going to depend on who you would want there. Uh, but Evan Neal to me edges him out because I think he's a little bit more polished uh, than, than uh, Icky is. Icky is kind of a wild stallion in some ways. Uh, the way that I would describe him and his appeal is his run blocking is better than any other offensive lineman in the drafts run blocking or pass blocking. So his trump card, if you will, is truly elite and truly special. His run blocking is, is dynamic. Um, so, you know, if you're running a Shanahan-esque scheme where you're favoring the run game, you're kind of leading with the run game and you're incorporating a lot of play action and RPO and jet motion misdirection and moving the pocket and, you know, sprint out stuff like that, where he could be aggressive in pass protection and he's not going to have to take a lot of true, true drop back pass sets. Then you pick him above Neil, I think. Um, but, you know, on the outside looking in, not scouting for a specific team, just trying to be general with it. If I was had, if I had to make a bet from that perspective, I would go with Neil because I think he fits more places and, his floor is a little bit higher because he's a little bit better in pass protection, still a really good run blocker and uh, still has a pretty good high upside as well. He's very talented, um, you know, ideal measurements, all that kind of stuff. So he's a very, very high quality prospect. Um, but Icky just, he's a little bit more dynamic in what he does in the run game. So that's how I see those two guys. And then after that is Charles Cross, uh, from Mississippi State, um, very young guy. All three of these guys are all 21 years old, so they're all very young. Um, uh, Charles Cross is, I think, the most inexperienced of the bunch, um, you know, a redshirt sophomore. Uh, he's coming from an air raid scheme under Mike Leach, um, so that's kind of a red flag initially for a lot of guys because just the way that that scheme operates, um, the the wide splits that guys have at offensive line, it kind of decreases the space between pass rushers, makes things a little bit easier for you as a pass protector. Even though you're taking a lot of pass sets, um, I think the level of difficulty is a little lower in the air raid. Now, granted, he played in the SEC, so he saw, saw a lot of good players. So that kind of helps, you know, quell, quench those uh, concerns a little bit. And then also, He's kind of unique, too, because he didn't re get recruited to the air raid. He actually got recruited to a more of a power downhill run scheme. And then the coaching staff got fired and, you know, Mike Leach came in. So he actually has some physicality to him, some play strength to him that I think is above average. He, he's a little bit better than the typical air raid tackle in the run game. So that's why I like him as much as I do. I have him with kind of a like a, a first round grade, more of like middle of the first, um, <clears throat> because I think that transition to the NFL might be a little bit more steep for him in terms of what he's going to be asked to do. But I think he has the traits to do it and, and to improve and, and to get there. Um, so I really like him, uh, but he's the third tackle for me. Uh, I think all those guys are first round guys. And then there's two other tackles that are fringe first round guys, um, kind of on that line of late first, early second. And that's Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa and Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan. Um, those two guys, it's neck and neck for me. It has been the whole time. It's a toss-up, you know, which guy you like more. They both have their, their concerns. Um, I favor Raymond a little bit, and that's because of how quickly he's picked up football. Uh, he's a converted tight end. He's from Austria. 
Uh, really interesting backstory. Um, but he's only been playing offensive line since 2020. So this guy's only had 18 starts in his life. In wow. the position, and he's picked it up very quickly. Um, and that, to me, is just so impressive. His body control, his balance, and his athletic ability – He's stronger than you would think for being, you know, just a little bit over 300 pounds. Um, and he, he's very tough and like physical. He, he has all these traits that you would think of a converted tight end who just started playing the position wouldn't have. So, you know, his arms are shorter than you would want. He's older. He's going to be 25 years old as a rookie. But to me, that's not as big of a concern as it typically would be because he's so young as a football player. And I think that he can still get better. Um, so that's why I favor him over a guy like Penning, who is the ideal guy physically, height, weight, arm length, all prototypical, um, powerful guy, uh, very nasty as well. He's a tone setter, um, but he's a little bit more even raw than I think Raymond is in terms of his technique. He doesn't play with the best leverage. He doesn't have the best body control. Um, he tested very well. He's very, he's, he's athletic. Um, and that kind of thing, but his understanding of how to manipulate leverage and, you know, play low and, um, you know, stay attached to blocks. It isn't, it, he's not as crafty in that regard as Raymond and, you know, theoretically that's coachable, but it doesn't always happen. So there, there's some, a little bit of projection there. That's why I have him kind of later, uh, in the first, he'll probably go higher and before Raymond because his physical traits and the NFL typically values that very highly. And I understand that. Um, but yeah, uh, so those are the tackles that I would see have that, that have first round value. Um, and then if we go to the interior, there's really just one center, um, in this class that I think has first round value. And that's Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, uh, man, after Icky, uh, his run blocking, how I said is the best in, in the class. I think Linderbaum's run blocking is the second best in the class. Hmm. Um, and he's a dynamic run blocker. I mean, um, you watch him on film, man, he's undersized. He played around 290, but he is powerful. Uh, he, he's a master manipulator of leverage. A leverage monster is a good way to say that. I think Ben Fennell came up with that term. I love it. Um, and that's what he is. He's a high-level wrestler. Um, he pinned Tristan Wirfs famously in high school. Huh. Um, you know, I think he lost to him three times before that, but then he pinned him, and that that got a lot of notoriety. But still, giving up a lot of size to Tristan Wirfs, and was able to pin him. So he, that just kind of speaks to how he plays football too. He, despite being undersized a lot of the time, he gets under and inside of guys, and he's very powerful. His grip strength is outstanding. He, he goes through the echo of the whistle. He's relentless. Um, I believe in 2019, he was playing center. He's a, a former converted defensive tackle as well, so he hasn't been playing center that long. He, so in 2019, when he played center, I heard Mike Renner from PFF say he was around 270 pounds. Wow. And um, he was awesome still. So he's been undersized for a while, um, but you just can't tell when you're watching him on tape in terms of his effectiveness in the run game. And he's dynamic at the second level as well, just an elite athlete on film. And we saw that translate to his pro day recently as well. Um, the concerns for him are very short arms, you know, 31 and, and change. Uh, that's, and you know, he's going to have to overcome that in the NFL. And I think it hurt him on film in pass protection specifically um, in terms of maintaining that firmness in the pocket, he can allow guys to get inside of him 
before he can, you know, establish first meaningful contact. Uh, guys can do that on him more than you would like. Uh, but he's he has a strong anchor, um, but it's going to be a, a little bit higher variance for him in pass protection because of his size. It, really, it's arm length. And, you know, he's shorter as well, which isn't necessarily a, a detriment to him, but it's, it's the arm length thing. Um, so for that reason, you know, people are downgrading him. And to me still, man, I have him with a, a high grade. I have him with an 8.6. So that's an impact player, um, you know, middle of the first round. That's that's probably where I, you know, would look at him. He might go late first round, maybe even in second. Um, before and then we go on, before we go on to the next guy, I just want to ask yeah. you this: um, Do you do you think that his quickness and his understanding of leverage are enough to compensate in most situations for him to to play winning football at the at the pro level, or is that more of a question mark for you? Um, I, I think it's enough. Um, I, I would, I would lean towards enough. It, it's just, there's certain situations where bigger hulking type of interior power rushers, like, you know, a guy like Fletcher Cox or, um, you know, Vita Vea or, uh, man, even Chris Jones, even though he's more kind of speed, even though, you know, but he's very big and yes. long. You know, guys, guys like that are going to be able to get inside of him and and DJ you know, Reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's just guy, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, pure power down the center of his body. I think he'll be able to anchor pretty well on. But when you start having guys who can reach out and establish leverage with maybe a long arm, and then you know incorporate a secondary move off of that. It's going to be tough for him isolated to really like be a very high level pass protector. But as I say that, I think about centers in the NFL, man, I mean, there's not a lot. There's you can count on one hand how many centers there are in the NFL who you want to leave on an island against one of these guys anyway. Right. Um, So I think if you draft him, you have to have a specific plan for him in pass protection. You you think of a guy like Jason Kelsey, part, part of the reason why he's been able to succeed Kelsey, that is playing under 300 pounds, is the way that they design their pass protection scheme. And I've heard a lot of this. Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson, who have been off at offensive line masterminds, have spoken on this. Basically, in Philadelphia, under Jeff Stoutland, the offensive line coach, the tackles are on an island and the guards are inside helping Kelsey. Um, and that's how you have to think of Linderbaum and you, you make those concessions or those adjustments for him because the run blocking is so dynamic. Um, and I think if a team does that and they have those bigger hulking type of guards, like Philly has always had, like the saints have had with Drew Brees, like the Seahawks have had, you know, for Russell Wilson, guys who are just bigger, stronger, who can really like, you know, handle power well, and they could give him a little bit of help. I think that will do wonders for him and will really allow him to succeed um, because he's quick enough to handle the speed guys, those sub package rushers that come down the spinners, you know, the, those, those undersized guys that reduce inside. I think he he's quick enough and athletic enough to handle those guys. It's the bigger guys that he's going to need just some help with. So a team might have to get a little more creative than you would want to get for a first round pick. Um, but I think it's worth it because of everything else that he brings. So I think that's kind of important in his evaluation. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still a big fan of him. I still have a big grade on him. Um, yeah. And, and uh, in terms of guard, 
I really think there's one uh, first-round pick, and that's Zion Johnson from Boston College. You can make the case for Texas A&M's Kenyon Green as well. I have a second-round grade on him, high second round. Um, but those are the two guards that I think would be worth it. Uh, Zion has been – he is uh, probably, if I had to pick one guy in the class who's my favorite player, it'd probably be Zion Johnson. Um, I love Ike Aquanu too, don't get me wrong. But Zion, man, he is um, very, very – technically sound and refined he's very experienced and you can see it in the way he plays the way he processes information he makes snap quick decisions that are the right ones almost every time he's just one of those guys the more you learn about the the coaches rave about him the players rave about him he's a consummate leader a consummate teammate um he's powerful as well He, he tested out of this world at the combine better than i thought he would and i love him um, you know, so like, he's just checked every single box. He's very clean as a prospect. You know, I, I don't like saying plug and play too often because I think it gets overused, but I think it's applicable for Zion Johnson. He reminds me a lot of, uh, Kevin Zeitler yeah. coming out of Wisconsin, um, late first round pick who you plug in, he's going to be 10 years, you know, might make a pro bowl or two might not, but he's going to be above average for a long time maybe even very good. Uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of my guy that I would go in the first round, um, in, in Zion Johnson. See, this is, this is my, probably my, you're probably my favorite guest I've had on in the past, like six months at least, because <laughs> you, you not only give the what, but you give the why so well that Thank I you. could just listen to you all day, talk about this. So I, I, yeah, man, absolutely. And I, and I hope those out there listening to feel the same way. I'm sure they do because this is, um, you know, going into what you did with Linderbaum was fantastic and going into how the, the different schematic elements come into play and the different types of players that you need to complement them. It's fantastic. So with that in mind, I mean, we're thinking about second day picks Mm-hmm. Who are some of these players? Who are some of these other players that you might take a chance on for whatever reason? Oh man, okay. So Kenyon Green, we could talk about him, even though he's probably going in the first round. Um, I am maybe a little bit lower on him than most. So I, I still really like him, though. I, I just think he has more stuff to clean up than a guy like Zion Johnson. But the things that you like about him. Um, very physical, rugged playing style, plays with a very wide base, um, and his acceleration into contact is outstanding. He's a people mover. Oh, I love um, that with any type of football player. It's so rare to see. Yeah, he he's he definitely has that clear area of strength to his game that I think will translate right away. Like as a puller, you know, if he, he can really kind of um, – uh, frame up second level guys very well and just engulf them. Um, so, you know, heavy hands, you know, and he's very young. He's only 21. Um, he has a long runway to improve. Uh, I totally get why he's a first round pick. And for me, he's, you know, that that's totally understandable, but I saw some stuff that he was able to get away with on film in college that I think he won't be able to in the NFL, barring some serious technical improvement. Um, and it's really with his hands, you know, I think he has a tendency to get very wide, uh, with his hands and kind of bear hug guys and he can engulf guys easily at the college level doing that. But in the pro game, guys are, 
they make quicker decisions. They're more slippery. They're stronger. They can make, they could turn those into holds, you know, much, much more frequently, I think, than they did in college. Um, so like he needs to improve, which, you know, these are all coachable things and he's young enough to do it. Uh, so I don't think that, you know, it's impossible for him to, to get better in these areas, but, uh, you know, he tends to lean on guys a little bit too much. He doesn't really reset himself, uh, quickly enough when guys kind of get outside the cylinder of his body, he can kind of just hang on. Um, and he just needs to get better about kind of sustaining blocks when guys challenge him. Um, so that, that's my big kind of hang up with him. Uh, that's the reason why I have him a little bit lower than most, but like I said, again, man, this is a, this is a guy who has key foundational traits to become a long time, high quality starting guard in the NFL. He has positional versatility. He's played four of the five positions in college. Um, he just needs to clean some stuff up. There's kind of an old school com comparison that I have for him in his report. And that's Davin Joseph. Uh, former guard for the Bucks uh, yeah. out of Oklahoma, um, who was a high-level guard for a long time. And I watched a lot of Davin Joseph recently because I made highlight tapes for Donald Penn when he played for Tampa. So I got to see a lot of Davin Joseph. And, man, Kenny Green reminds me a lot of him. So, And Davin Joseph was, was a pretty high first-round pick, I believe, as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's who he reminds me of. I really like him, but man, if you could get that guy on day two, you know, you run to the podium for somebody like that. Uh, I don't know if, if that'll happen. Um, more like true day two guys we'll get into here. Um, man, there's a lot of interior guys that I really like, uh, like more round three than round two, okay. but some of those guys, Marquise Hayes from Oklahoma, Jamari Sawyer from Georgia, Ed Ingram from LSU, uh, Tyler Smith from Tulsa, um, Dylan Parham from Memphis, Luke Godecki from Central Michigan. Uh, Luke Fortner is a center from Kentucky. I like him in round three. I have a lot of round three grades in this draft. Um, so there's a lot of guys here. And for us, just to give some context, a round three grade is a high level backup slash potential starter. Okay. So that's how I see these guys. They're, they're going to be able to come in right away. Get, you know, be a very high quality number six or seven offensive lineman on a roster. And they have a, a really good chance of earning a starting job in camp as well. Um, so there's a lot of those guys in this draft. Um, Marquise Hayes, we could just go into him a little bit because I'm higher on him probably than, than most people. Okay. Uh, he needs to go to the right spot. He needs to go to a team that's running a lot of gap concepts. Um, you know, maybe like New England. I don't know if they're still going to do that without McDaniels there, but you know, a team like that who's going to run, you know, they're going to fold their offensive linemen. They're going to run pulls, you know, traps, counters, uh, power. You know, if you have a system that runs those kind of concepts, then I think Marquise Hayes can be a, a starter, you know, sooner rather than later. That's what he did at Oklahoma. Um, they're a heavy, um, you know, uh, counter offense. Uh, they run a lot of counters. So he's a very high-level puller. Um, he has very, very good length which is really, and he uses it very well. He's only like six, four and change, but he has 35 inch arms. Um, and he uses it very well. Uh, and he's, he's, he's a tone setter. And the thing why I'm so much higher, all those things are great. But the thing that sold me on Marquise Hayes was how well he dealt with gap exchanges and post snap movement. So his processing, I think is, 
he, he has a keen understanding of how to read things pre-snap so he's not out of position post-snap. And for a guy being as physical as he is and as aggressive, for him to kind of have that ability to to kind of walk that line and also have that that be that heady, that to me signals a guy who could really carve out a role in the NFL. Um, um, explain that pass- to me. Do me a quick favor, real quick. Explain a gap exchange to my audience, just in case they're they're not savvy to what that is. Yeah, sure. So a lot of NFL teams do this. I think of the Falcons. They do this with Grady Jarrett all the time. So. You know, say a guy like Grady Jarrett, you have a three technique over the left guard's outside shoulder, and you have a a shade, a shaded nose tackle to that center. At the snap, they're basically in a crisscross, um, you know, and and that's what it is. It's like a cross dog, uh, you know, blitz at the linebacker level, only at the first level. Um, And there's different ways you could do it. You don't have to do it that scenario. You could do it with the three technique and a five technique. Um, And it's for the run game. It's like a run blitz kind of. Um, teams use it to get penetration basically um, to catch offensive linemen off guard and if an offensive lineman isn't very uh, isn't very aware pre-snap of maybe alignment changes stance changes because typically defenders get in different stances to execute these things maybe get more they get a little deeper they cheat a little bit so they can set it up create more space Um, if offensive linemen don't pick up on these things and defenses sell it very well this is where you see a lot of offensive linemen lunge and lose quickly. And it, it's really ugly. I think gap exchanges are the, are the reason for a lot of that. So when I see college guys are, they're able to stay centered. They're able to maintain their posture when these things happen and just kind of let a guy cross his face and not lose sight of his assignment and then pick up the next guy. That to me, like that, that gets me to sit up in my chair you know, and, and take note. And Marquise Hayes is a guy I felt like who did that at a high level. So he plays faster than you would think because he didn't test super well. I didn't expect him to. I wrote in his report, he's he's kind of a below average athlete, but he his play speed is above average, I think, because of some of those things. He just processes quickly. Um, so yeah, that's a gap exchange and just kind of how guys deal with it. Um, but yeah, so Marquise Hayes is a guy I'm really interested in. But again, he kind of has to go to that certain scheme. So that's why he'll probably go later in the draft. Um, Jamari Sawyer is a guy I really like inside at the next level. He played left tackle at Georgia this year. Um, but man, he played right guard a couple games as well, kind of slide inside. He's a guy who also has very good length, um, really good square power. He can generate instant movement and uproot guys at the point of attack. Um, he's a guy I think who's going to be able to come in right away and potentially start for you. Um, if worst case, just be a high level backup. Um, Ed Ingram from LSU. He's a guy who grew on me the more I watched him. Um, he's one of the best pullers in the class. Uh, when he's uncovered in pass protection, this guy is a force of nature. I mean, he's going to really clean the pocket very well in pass protection. And he has a lot of body control and pass protection as well. He doesn't chase stuff in terms of like stutters and hesitations. He knows how to kind of maintain his weight distribution, stay patient and let guys execute a move first, which I think is a very pretty rare skill for college guys. Um, So that's why I like him. And we saw that at the senior bowl as well with Ed Ingram, he had some really nice reps and one-on-ones um, that I thought, you know, were eye catching. So those are kind of three guards that I like a lot. 
Um, and there's more, man. I mean, we could keep going. There, there's some center guard guys that I think are really interesting. Uh, name a couple. Of, name a couple of those. Yeah. So Dylan Parham from Memphis, Luke Odecki from Central Michigan, uh, Luke Fortner from Kentucky, Cole Strange from UT Chattanooga, and Cam Jurgens from Nebraska. These are guys who are going to go on day two, most likely all of them. Um, I have pretty much day two grades on all of them. Uh, most of them, like I said, like early third to late third round grades. Um, but man, like Cam Jurgens is is a guy who I really like uh, from Nebraska. I have right now like a, a, a late third, early fourth round grade on him, and he's probably going to go higher than that. He's basically, if you can't get Tyler Linderbaum in the first round, you could get this guy on day two, and he's a very similar type of guy. Um, he has longer arms, so that's kind of an appeal to him, uh, almost two inches longer, I believe, than Linderbaum, which is pretty significant. His tape isn't as good as Linderbaum, but he has flashes that are really special. Um, elite athlete. Um, hasn't been playing football super long either. I think just uh, three years at center at least. Um, but, yeah, he at his pro day, he weighed over 300. Um, at the combine, he weighed over 300, excuse me, and his pro day, is, he did as well. He played at 290. So we kind of checked that box that he can maintain that athletic ability at a higher weight. Um, but man, some of the stuff that he does at the second and third level is really, really awesome. Um, and he, he really is kind of a tone setting guy as well, like a Ryan Jensen type of mindset on the field. So you love to combine that with an elite athlete. Um, so yeah, he, he's a really interesting guy. Cole strange is very similar to him in my mind. Um, just coming from lower level, lower level football, Cole Strange played guard. Uh, Cam Jurgens is more like center only. Uh, Cole Strange is probably going to play guard and center, so he has a little bit more versatility, I think. Did really well at the Senior Bowl. I'm actually going to be talking to him soon for a film room that I'm very excited about. Nice. Um, so learn more about his process and stuff like that. But very athletic guy, uh, strong. Um, he, he had a game this year against Kentucky that has been well-documented. Uh, anytime you have a guy at a lower level school, you know, when you get your hands on the film of them playing in the SEC, you know, you really want to kind of break that down. And he, he stepped up to the competition and looked like he belonged. And he was able to impose his will on a lot of SEC defensive tackles in that game and drive guys back, create movement. He really got under the skin of a lot of those guys. And it was like, okay, yeah, this guy, there's what he's doing against common opponents at UT Chattanooga isn't a fluke. And then he went to the senior bowl and showed a lot of that stuff too. So he'll probably go on day two. I have a kind of a late third round grade on him. I have some concerns similar to Jurgens with the size, just a little undersized guy. He like his girth and um, just kind of his mass is just, he's more of kind of a lean type of guy and certain body types, I think will give him some trouble. Uh, in terms of power, but hey, I mean, you live with it with all the other stuff that they can bring. So those are two guys. Uh, Luke Fortner, I, I actually like a little bit more than both of those guys. He's not the athlete that those guys are, but man, I think he's going to be a starting center in the NFL eventually. Um, he played guard in 2020, and I watched him against Georgia. Wasn't very good at guard, but man, he he got stronger in the weight room switched to center and then 2021 looked like a totally different player 
and he's very he's an adept zone run blocker just has a really good understanding of how to work combo blocks um how to manipulate leverage his body positioning is really good he he, he's just he he has he has a really advanced understanding of of run blocking um so i I really like luke fortner uh luke odecki i'm doing a film room today with he's the other central michigan tackle opposite bernard raymond he's more clearly an interior guy more sawed off uh kind of frame but man contact balance is outstanding with him and he has some power to his game man some of his film at central michigan he was dominant in the run game uh he kind of reminded me like a high-end comp for him would be like a TJ Lang, but more of like a mid-tier comp is like a Joe Dahl or a Mark Lewinsky. He's one of those kind of guys who's like a, a solid starting guard. Yeah. Um, but if you can get a guy like that in the third round, I think that's really good. Um, so those are some of the guys, man. I mean, I, I really could make a case for a lot of these guys in that range. I think that's the range you want to get some of these guys. Well, I think that's no. I mean, I think that's a fantastic overview of some of the players that could really make an impact for a while in the league. And, yeah. You know, it, it's a fantastic mm-hmm. look. And if hey, listen, if you with you know, since the fact that you got a Central Michigan guy coming on, and you can, you can joke with them and say that you had a you had a podcast, you're on a podcast where the guy's more skill player oriented, and he asked if if he has if his eyes are up a little bit more often downfield, which I doubt is very going to be the case he can tell me a little about Khalil Pimpleton I'd, I'd love to hear I'd love to hear his thoughts about him as a teammate that would be kind of cool but other okay. than that but yeah but otherwise no it's a, it's a it's a great it's a great <laughs> o- overview um I I want to talk about past evaluations but I mm-hmm. if you don't mind just I'd like to hear maybe if there's a guy that you think is a day three or undrafted free agent type, one or two guys at most that you just think there's something about them that, you know, it's a long shot, but hey, you know, there's something there that that if things just really, the confluence of factors come together, maybe it can happen for them. Yeah, there's a few for sure. Um, Donovan West from Arizona State. I, I like this kid. He's, I think he's the youngest offensive lineman in the draft. One of uh, certainly, he's like, I think he's 20 right now. He'll be 21 the whole rookie year. A um, little undersized, yeah, you know, but coming from that heavy zone Arizona State scheme, very good zone run blocker, man. He has a little bit more strength than you would think for a guy being more athletic. Um, he, he, once he kind of gets inside of a, a defender, he does a really good job of staying latched, good grip strength, good understanding of how to move his feet and stay balanced, you know, through. The duration of a block um he you know is a very good mover in space you know second third levels climbing up to the second third levels off combo blocks pulling on screens um and because he's so young i feel like there's this runway there to where man in three years if he's not even starting that still he could still become a starter because only be 23 years old and that's the same age as a lot of these guys coming out in this class so that to me kind of gives him that upside there. And if you're picking on day three, you know, get him into your program, you know, get him, maybe he could be a, you know, eighth offensive lineman or whatever, but man, you know, two, three years down the line, you know, you could be looking at a guy who could start some games for you uh, specifically at center. Um, So I I like Donovan West. There's something there. I think, Uh, man, there's, 
uh, Zach Tom from Wake Forest. You probably heard that name. He's an athletic freak uh, from Wake Forest, just tested out of this world. Um, came from, you know, kind of like a Mickey Mouse type offense at Wake Forest, you know, like heavy RPO, heavy inside zone, high tempo. Guys aren't finishing blocks a lot. It's, you know, it's very basic. You, you know, there's not a lot of variety there. So his evaluation is kind of tough. You do see the the athletic ability translate in some of his movements, but man, just not tested a whole lot. Uh, you don't see him get to do a lot of stuff. So I have some questions about some of his finishing ability, run blocking, power, things like that. But there's something there in pass protection. Some of the stuff he was doing with his hands, um, independent hand usage, uh, flashing guys like with the bait technique. He, he's kind of crafty and, and you know, very highly athletic guy. And by all accounts off the field is super clean and all that kind of stuff. So that like that's the guy you roll the dice with you know, in day three. Um, another guy that I like, I'm looking at my list right here, man, you know, I, I really like, um, there, there's a couple, I'm trying to narrow it down here. Uh, man, I, I kind of like Logan Bruss from Wisconsin. He's kind of a classic Wisconsin guy, like wide bodied frame, um, doesn't get moved a lot, doesn't generate a whole lot of movement, but he could kind of take a lot of uh, force and absorb it very well. Um, he, he plays with really good balance and he's technically sound and stuff like that. Kind of limited athletically. He played tackle this year a lot, but he's going to play guard in the NFL. That's a guy who I could see just carving out a long career. Um, you know, very easy to overlook, not flashy at all. But the more I watched him, the more I was like, man, there's something to this guy. He, he knows how to stay on his feet and uh handle the bull rush and just do do some really interesting things uh so i like him i'll do one more uh zach thomas zachary thomas from san diego state university their offensive line was super fun to watch for me this year surprisingly they're they're one of the more fun offensive lines to watch just you could tell they're very well coached heavy uh zone scheme um and they have a couple nfl prospects on the line his brother is cameron thomas who is a defensive lineman. He's going to be drafted. But um, this guy, Zachary Thomas, his pass protection needs a lot of work. I'll say that. It's kind of unplayable right now, to be honest. However, the run blocking is very good. So he's one of those guys who has that calling card uh, to, that he can kind of lean on. And, man, just he, I think adept body control, understanding of the play's intent, he adjusts his positioning to pin and seal guys very well based on their movement. Um, he creates a lot of alleys off of his backside in that run game. Um, he's very quick laterally, just exceptional lateral quickness. Um, you know, he's loose and springy uh, and he's very long as well. He's not a sawed off guy. So it's like, there's something to work with there. If you can get him in the sixth or seventh round, like, you know, it's it's funny. Some people on Twitter and stuff say, like, if you love this guy so much in the seventh round, why don't you take him in the third round or why don't you take him in the fourth? It's like there's some guys that clearly are not playable because of one thing like pass protection. But they have this kind of this area of their game or a couple areas, couple traits. And it's like rather than let him get to the undrafted pool where you're recruiting him, why not get him in the seventh round? 
and just have him get into your program. If you have a good developer at offensive line coach, stuff like this, he's one of those guys I would love to get at the tail end of the draft because he has some stuff to work with and he's really good already in one area. So yeah, Zachary Thomas is kind of an intriguing guy to me. That's some great explanations as to why those guys are where they are, but why they have the appeal that they do. So let's take a, let's, let's take some quick hitters on some past evaluations, something you've learned about a guard, a tackle or a center. It can be one guy, it can be two or three guys, just like a, you know, something about their traits, techniques, concepts that you've learned based on how you studied them, what you either learned in hindsight that worked out or didn't work out, however you want to take it. So let's start with the guard position. Who are some guards that you've learned something about based on past evaluations that you've learned about the position? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, this kind of runs parallel with center as well. So a guy like Pat Alfline, Garrett Bradbury, um, there's a couple others as well. Uh, gosh, there's, there's more, there's a recent guy, but those two jump out to me. Um, I didn't do a full evaluation on Bradbury, but I liked him just like everybody else coming out. Cause you know, you see what he does in outside zone, you know, reaching the three techniques, stuff like that. And then Pat Elfline, I had a second round grade on him coming out. I liked him a lot. Uh, I think he went in the third, um, you know, he, he was okay for a couple of years and now he's, you know, almost out of the league. And this was in 2017 or 18. I think the thing that I learned about from those two guys is that size is is legitimately important at guard. Those guys are both undersized, whether it be arm length or just their stature. And even though Bradbury uh, went into a heavy zone scheme, which you typically think guys are undersized would excel at, it, he wasn't able to overcome that. Um, and he, or at least he hasn't so far three years in the league. Uh, so to me, I think for guard specifically and, and also center to a degree, you either have to, and part of this is something I've learned, you know, that I can correct with Brad, with Elfline specifically, he also didn't test super well. So it's like, if you have a guy who's undersized and maybe doesn't have the athletic ability baseline, like maybe steer away from those guys, or at least value them a little bit low, a little bit later, maybe like round three or four as opposed to a round one or two guy. Um, So just kind of the valuation part of those type of players, I think for me has shifted a little bit. Um, And I think that it just kind of hammered home the point I made about Linderbaum where, you know, Linderbaum I think is the more powerful version of Bradbury, but nonetheless, you still have to have kind of a specific plan for, for guys like that in terms of who you surround him with, with the guards uh, what you ask him or don't ask him to do in pass protection. Now, those are things obviously we can't control from the outside, but those are things that I've learned are very important for undersized centers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- those are a couple interior guys, you know, as of late that I've learned something from. Another guy like that I was just I couldn't think of earlier is Kendrick Green from Illinois. You know, he struggled last year in Pittsburgh. Um you know, I think a lot of that was technique, but definitely an undersized guy, you know, pretty sawed off, not very long at all. Guys were able to get inside of him quickly. He's very strong in terms of weight room. He squats over 700 pounds. He's very powerful, like when he gets underneath a guy moving forward. But in terms of absorbing force from guys who are much bigger than him, man, it was an issue this year. And, uh, you know, I had a third round grade on him last year. 
Um, in hindsight, we'll see where that if that was too high or too low based on last year may have been a little high, but we'll see. It's still he's still very young and all that type of stuff. But Kendrick Green, Garrett Bradbury, Pat Elfline, guys like this who are just sawed off, undersized guys who flash on tape and do some some nice stuff on tape. To me, I I, I really kind of take a more critical eye on those guys, and I'm trying to now. That's why like Cam Jurgens, I have him still even though he blew up the pro day, blew up the combine. To me, I still have him in the late third because I, I see some of those issues, even though he'll probably go in the second. Uh, Linderbaum is one of the – I think he's an exception still because of how powerful and strong he is. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 always so – It's a fine so, line, right? So challenging to yeah. – the evaluation piece is one thing. The valuation of him – is a whole different story when you're trying to slot these guys into where you would take him. So I'm always trying to learn on that, that, at that end, it's always a challenge, but it's, it's fun. Well, my dad, a former high school undersized center would probably say amen to everything you mentioned. So what uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about tackle? Yeah. Tackle. This is something I've thought about for a few years. And I, I think it just every year we see it kind of hold true it's a much more technical position than giving credit for where skill and technique and fundamentals can really not only get you by, but cause you to succeed at a very high level or to just be, to, to raise your floor so much higher. I think people get enamored at tackle with athletic ability so much. And part of that is understandable because you're playing in more space. You're, you're having to protect better athletes or, you know, block better athletes and pass protection. So I understand being better athlete at tackle, you generally have to be, but I think people kind of overvalue it a little bit. You, you know, it's, I I think fundamentals and technique can get you by at tackle and to, you know, I think of Jonah Williams, that that's a good example. You know, he's the best offensive lineman on the Bengals. Um, You know, he was last, last year, at least, you know, in my opinion. And, He's not he's not going to get an all pro, you know, he probably won't get a pro bowl, but that's a guy who could be, you know, your second or third, probably third best offensive lineman. And that's that's really valuable. That, that's kind of another thing that we can go into how a viewed offensive line building is looking at them one through five. And like Jonah Williams, to me, if he's like your third best offensive lineman, that's that's really good because he and maybe even second you don't want him to be your best guy but if he's your third guy because he to me is like a top 15 left tackle you know in that 12 to 15 range and he gets by on just being very technically sound he he doesn't have you know all the physical traits that you would want in terms of size or athletic ability even but man he he understands how to get out of his stance efficiently doesn't take any false steps has really good hand technique. He's a, a skilled hand fighter. Um, and, you know, you can you can have a guy like that for six, seven, eight years, uh, you know, as a starter. And there's a lot of guys like that, I think, um, at tackle. You know, Rashawn Slater's kind of an anomaly. You know, he, he tested like an elite athlete, but that's not what makes him great. It's his technique. You know, he is so technically sound. Uh, it's ridiculous. You know, being an elite athlete is obviously great and it helps him, but man, he's strong and he's technically sound. So that's another guy, you know, that I, I gave one of those mid first round grades to not a top 10 grade because of, you know, I I thought the size 
could maybe get him into a little bit of trouble. And I think sometimes it did last year as a rookie, but man, he was so good overall. And he got by on just being fundamentally a, a machine, um, you know, kind of like that Zach Martin thing, you know, where they're just so good with their technique. They're never out of balance, things like that. I think that at tackle, we need to kind of pay more attention to that because when you look at the starting tackles in the league, yeah, you have the high end guys like Trent Williams, Tyron Smith, who are just, you know, they're freaks. They're those guys are, you know, once, once every decade kind of guys. But for the most part, there's a lot of guys like David Bakhtiari. He's another high end guy, but he's undersized, good athlete, but man, he's winning with technique. And uh, there's a lot of guys that tackle, I think that can win that way. So that's something that I try to keep in mind when I'm evaluating these tackles is it's, yeah, you want phys- if all things are equal, you, you want physical traits to be there. But man, maybe we're weighing those a little bit too too much on the scale sometimes. I love this. So, so you mentioned maybe we could talk a little bit about offensive line building. Let's end this with with a conversation about that. I mean, tell me what your thoughts are on what goes into building an effective offensive line. Well, I think it starts with the offensive line coach. You know, and. I, I think it starts there and the scheme, you know, the head coach, that pairing, them having an understanding, all that kind of stuff. I think of like the Chiefs, you know, that's the ideal place to play offensive line in the NFL for a variety of reasons. You know, Andy Reid, former offensive lineman, uh, knows how to build in protection for the offensive line, cover deficiencies very well with the scheme. Um, and then you have an offensive line coach like Andy Heck, who develops guys at a very high level. So it's like you pair those two things. I mean, that's a great place to play offensive line. You're going to get, you know, what you do well, you're going to be asked to do those things more than the things you, you aren't doing well or you can't do well as a player. I mean, that's all you can really ask for. And then you're going to be, you know, you're going to have this built-in protection. Oh, and of course, you know, they have Patrick Mahomes who can right a lot of wrongs, <laughs> you know, for offensive line. So I look at everything around the offensive line first you know, quarterback, head coach, offensive line coach. Obviously, everybody wants a great quarterback. So, you know, not, you know, not breaking any news there. But I think the offensive line coach is critical because if you have a guy who could teach fundamentals and technique at a high level, who develops guys, who has that track record, I think those guys are worth their weight in gold. Uh, I mean, you know, Mike Munchak, Bill Callahan, Dante Skarnecchia, Jeff Stoutland, those guys, every year they have a good offensive line wherever they go. And I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, that they're, they they know how to coach the position and get the most out of guys. So if I was building an offensive line, I would really want to allocate a lot of resources towards my offensive line coach, first of all. And then in terms of like constructing the position, you know, that is uh, it, I like to look at it, like I said earlier, like the one through five thing to me is is a really interesting way of looking at it. Um you know, you can have, you know, and this has been talked about a lot recently. I think obviously if, you know, the best way to do it, I think, is the Cowboys blueprint where you get blue chip guys in multiple positions. I mean, if you could do that, that's that's the dream. You know, it's obviously very rare and hard, but they had Tyron Smith at one time, Travis Frederick and Zach Martin. I mean, those guys, two Hall of Famers, one guy who probably would have been in the Hall of Fame if he didn't retire early. So obviously, like, you know, get the best players at as many positions as you can. Uh, That's the ideal way of doing it. But there's other interesting ways. You look at the Bills blueprint. 
I think that's very interesting, you know, kind of going for a lot of mid tier guys. And, you know, that way you don't have to, you know, kind of stretch yourself thin with the salary cap and things like that. You could take a lot of shots, you know, you, you have more darts for the dartboard, you know, you just, you're signing on a lot of these mid tier guys, you have heavy competition in training camp and then let the best man win. And then a byproduct of that is you're going to have good depth now because of it. So I love that approach. I think that's probably a little easier in some ways um, than just getting these blue chip guys across the board. So those are the kind of the two ways of doing it. And then there's a, a lot of stuff in between. Um, I mean, it just depends on kind of where you are in that specific, you know, like where you are in the draft, how much money you have with the cap, who's a free agent, you know, all that stuff. So there's, there's a lot of ways to do it, man. I mean, yeah, it, if there's more specific scenarios, then maybe we could give better answers, but that's kind of a general overview on how it's a good one and uh, and it's fun to 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 hear when you look at it from that perspective you can start to look at teams and identify what end of the spectrum they're on just based on that now the thing that fascinates me is i'm often a preacher from a skill position perspective that guys don't get coached up in the nfl from a skill position perspective because or you know ball handling position perspective would be the 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 better way of putting it um but But because a lot of those guys, you know, Tony Gonzalez is a great example. He talked about how he led the league in drops in his second year. And, you know, and he said what he had to do was to form his own curriculum to figure out before and after practice every day what to work on to get his hands techniques correct, to work on his routes, to work on all the little things that, you know, in practice you're learning about you're learning about game plan. You're learning about scheme. You're executing those things. Mm-hmm. And the coaches are like, look, if you want to get better, well, you can, they may show you, you may work on some drills for five minutes, you know, if that, that, that work on footwork or hand usage or different things like that from the skill position perspective. But you got to go home and then practice that stuff or you got to practice that before and after practice for a while. You got to, and, and Gonzalez talked about recruiting coaches to, work with him every day or Deontay Johnson going back this year after leading was a league leader in drops or high up there last year. I think he had one drop after maybe 12 games because he went back to the whole tennis ball exercise of catching with your fingertips and looking the ball in and making sure that he wasn't clapping on the ball and that he had his hands in the right position when the ball arrived. And Hmm. you know, there are a lot of guys that I always hear fans say, well, they'll get coached up at the next level and it seems like there's a dangerous. difference. Yeah, it's very dangerous. It seems like there's a difference maybe between trench play and play outside the trenches when it comes to that. Because I know with running backs, man, there are things that they need some private tutelage a lot of times on things that would make that would make a world of difference in their games. And if they don't get it and they don't go after it, you can see where their careers just kind of plateau um, very yeah. early. Yeah, that's, I think those are great points. And I think that's largely true with offensive line too, especially because offensive line coaches are often run game coordinators. So they really have to be dialed in with the scheme and design the run game and that kind of stuff. But there are those certain places where like Philadelphia, Kansas City, um, Cleveland with Callahan, wherever Munchak goes, where I think coaches are able to really kind of hone in on, you know, de- they're very detail oriented with their technique and their Maybe they don't spend, you know, any more time than other guys do, but they're more effective at communicating it and they're more effective at, 
you know, getting it across to their players and adjusting their coaching style. And I think that's probably a large part of their success. So there are some exceptions to those really special offensive line coaches, but generally I think you're spot on, like similar to the weight room thing, like, yeah, I'll just get stronger in the NFL weight room. No, I mean, most times that's not going to happen unless he's a D2 guy or D3 guy, maybe. Yeah. But if he's at a power five SEC school, for instance, I mean, their weight room and weight program might be better than the NFL program. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, that that's another one that people kind of get in trouble with sometimes, too. So, yeah, I think you make great points, man. I mean, that's why it kind of plays back into what I said about tackle. A lot of the times guys, you know, get in trouble with saying, yeah, you know, we'll just coach up all the rest, you know, because he, he has the height, the weight, the arm length and the athletic ability. We'll just coach up the rest like that. It can work out like Colton Miller, but it can fail like Andre Dillard or it can fail like Jason Spriggs, you know, I mean, so it, it just depends, you know, sometimes that that's a viable approach, but I'd be cautious about that one, you know, and that's why I think I like guys who are fundamentally sound coming in, um, you know, a lot more. I think I like those guys more than most. Well, someone obviously who is fundamentally sound and talking about this subject and very effective at communicating, you know, all the details is Brandon Thorne. So Brandon, tell us again where we can find your work and how to subscribe to your your offensive line work on Substack because it's awesome. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Instagram as well. I do a lot of videos there as well. Some that I don't yeah. put on Twitter, especially college stuff. Uh, so if you want to see college highlights, I have a lot of stuff on there. Um, and that's Brandon Thorne NFL as well. Uh, trench warfare is trenchwarfare.substack.com so you can go there you can subscribe uh, support my work uh, your support is why i'm able to do it uh, so yeah i truly appreciate that and you know i'm looking forward to building that and bringing you guys new new ideas new content the summer for me is really where things open up for me because i'm so dialed into the the draft right now and scouting reports for bleacher report once that stops I feel like my trench warfare substack is really going to pick up and I'm going to, you know, dive into some different stuff. So uh, I think people will enjoy that as well. So, yeah. yeah, the emails I get in my inbox are fantastic, you know, and just seeing what what's ahead and what's what's what he has available to to, you know, to show people is is just great. I mean, this is this is one of the best analysts in the industry and Brandon Thorne right here in terms of what he offers you. And you, you just got a taste of it today for an hour. It was, it was great listening. So thanks again to Brandon. And of course, hey, listen, if you haven't gotten your rookie scouting portfolio yet, um, it is available for download, $21.95. I do projections and rankings for Dynasty Leagues as well. It's available for $24.95. We have raised over $50,000 in the past 10 years to Darkness to Light, an organization devoted to preventing sexual abuse of children, as well as how to address it appropriately when it is reported so it doesn't compound potential drama for the victim. Um, Allie Rossman is a spokeswoman um, for the organization. They're, they have a great reputation on Charity Now. Navigator. Um, so yeah, you can find all that at mountwaldmanrsp.com. And, you know, you can hear me around the horn on these podcasts that we got going on right now in Fantasy League. So I'm very grateful to those guests. And, you know, on behalf of Brandon, thanks again. You guys have a great week.